welcome to Raising Up Cops, a podcast about raising Coptic kids in Western culture, hosted by Madonna Lewindi and me, Laura Michael. And Lent started two days ago, so happy Lenten season, everyone. And if you haven't begun yet or the thought is kind of overwhelming to you, well, you're in luck because today we are going to discuss Lent, nutrition, and meals. We know that the purpose of Lent isn't to focus on the food we eat. However, it is kind of a stumbling block to many of us because it's such a shift from our everyday eats, which is kind of what the church intended. Yes, exactly. And we kind of wanted to take the pressure off of trying to figure all this out and answer some of those common questions about nutrition and meals and, you know, those fasting food symptoms that we all hate. So today we actually have a special guest with us, Sandra Methuselah-Zaya. Welcome, Sandra. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Sandra, can you tell us a little bit about your background and why you are here with us today? Yeah, sure. So I'm actually a pharmacist by training, um, and I've been practicing pharmacy for, man, I graduated. It's been a while, at least 10 years. Yeah, wow, 10 years. Okay, that's scary. (laughs) But I'm actually um, currently completing my master's in nutrition and integrative health. I'm doing that because while I was in pharmacy school, I realized there were lots of side effects from the pharmaceutical medications that people take. And also, um, not only that, I was realizing that there were a lot of root issues that were related to the the chronic illnesses that people are dealing with on a regular basis that lead them to get prescription medications. And I really wanted to get to the root cause and address the root cause of these things. And I was realizing that so many cases were related to micronutrient deficiencies, things related to the food that we eat every day or don't eat every day, and um, just even basic things like hydration and physical activity. Wow, Sandra, that's so interesting. I, I think I remember growing up too, like my parents were always concerned about the things that I would eat and they would tell me like, you know, you need your milk for your calcium and you need your meat for your protein, um, though they didn't necessarily use the words calcium and protein, right? Um, but they made a big deal about us getting these things because they were necessary for our growth. But then we got into fasting and it was like all these rules went out the window and we basically just lived on carbs, So Sandra, can you kind of touch on that a little bit and tell us what are some good vegan sources of protein and calcium and especially for those of us concerned for our kids growth? Wow. Yeah. Okay. This is a quite a loaded question. So I'm going to try my best to break it down piece by piece. So first of all, you are not the only person whose parents told them that like, you know, you need protein from meat and you need calcium from milk and those types of things. This is, it's kind of like a very societal slash global, I don't want to use the word brainwashing, but it's definitely this language we have in our minds and in our regular discussions um, when, when we talk about food that kind of triggers us to think only protein comes from meat or, you know, animal products, and then only calcium comes from milk. I mean, the Got Milk campaign was actually one of the reasons why everybody really, really associates calcium with milk. And that was definitely intentional. Um, Although there is calcium in milk, there is calcium in so many other things. And one of the main sources of calcium is actually green leafy vegetables. Tons of calcium in all the greens and even the cruciferous vegetables too, like cauliflower and broccoli. Basically, the greener and the darker they are, the more calcium and vitamin D actually as well. That's something to keep in mind. And another thing that's really great about that is that they are more bioavailable. That calcium that is in those greens um, is more 
readily absorbed into our systems. So it's even better than getting calcium from milk because a lot of people these days do struggle with a little bit of a lactose intolerance or things like that. Um, also, things that have milk and dairy products tend to have are really high in saturated fats. So your body um, doesn't always accept the calcium as well as you would from um, a, a green a vegetable. So that's something to keep in mind with those things. And the same actually goes for protein. Protein is associated with meat and fish and animal products because per ounce, you probably, not probably, per, per ounce, you get the most protein in those products. But it doesn't mean protein is void in other things like fruits and vegetables. Actually, almost all unprocessed whole foods contain some amount of protein. The key is the amount, right? So our parents and our colleagues, they harp on animal products for protein sources because you get the most protein in the smallest amount. So in people's minds, they think, well, I'd rather just have a can of tuna or I'd rather have a piece of steak or a chicken than like three or four cups worth of salad, you know, because it's more to eat and I have to eat a ton more uh, fruits or vegetables to compensate for the amount of protein that is needed. Well, Sandra, I, I have a question for you because I know that we've talked before you and I about like how much food has changed since like, you know, back in our parents' generation compared to now. Um, and so then does it matter like what kind of fruits and vegetables we get? Oh, yeah. Another great question. <laughs> so it does actually matter. Um, I will say um, there are a lot of issues around the soil quality we have now in America and abroad, but specifically America, because America has moved kind of further and further away from this farming lifestyle. So we actually get a lot of produce shipped in from other countries. So they take a while to get to us, things like that. So it does make it, it does make it a little bit more complicated in selecting fruits and vegetables. There is a guide that I can give to you to provide to others that just helps people realize that there are certain fruits and vegetables you should probably focus on getting as much as possible organic if you can, and then others that you don't have to worry too much about. For instance, I'll give you one example of each. So what we call in the nutrition world the dirty dozen are the 12 fruits and vegetables that have um, the highest amount of pesticides or toxins that were used because they're being shipped from another place. It has to last all through transit, right? So they have to put preservatives, they have to put toxins and pesticides while they're growing them so they can mass produce those types of things. So one example of that is apples. I think apples are really important to mention because I think that is a fruit that a lot of people, it's kind of like a universal fruit. A lot of people really like apples. That's something I really try to encourage people to try to try their best to focus on getting organic. And an example of the what they call the clean 15, which you don't have to worry too much about the pesticides and things like that are bananas, because you don't, one of the things is that you don't have, you don't eat the shell of it. So even if they happen to put pesticides on the outside, you're going to eat the inside and you don't have to worry too much about what's in the flesh. I love that, Tender. Thank you. I was thinking about what you said about milk, because actually I'm the kind of person who realized quickly as I'm getting older that I cannot have milk in my coffee. It really makes coffee a very unpleasant experience for me. I need to 
put a non-dairy milk in there. And I know that a lot of our go-to meals in Lent are high in carbs, high in beans. Um, yeah, I remember I, in college, I survived on French fry sandwiches, you know, which <laughs> now looking back, probably yeah. not the wisest. <laughs> um. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of us also have my, like my favorite vegetable is broccoli. And we all know that makes you a little gassy and makes you a little bit bloated, right? And a lot of us complain that we've got, we've got gastro symptoms that make fasting painful or uncomfortable. So Sandra, what are some ways that we can, you know, ease those symptoms or fix them, adjust them? Okay, this is also a great question. You guys are firing away here. I'm going to mention three things that are extremely important when it comes to mitigating those those gastrointestinal symptoms that we usually come up with or that we usually experience during this fast and actually usually during fast in general. So one thing here um, I'll start with is actually the fiber content. So unfortunately, most of us, when we're not fasting, we don't really eat foods that are high in fiber, So, which we really do need to try to focus more on in our non-fasting periods because I know, especially in the Coptic world, <laughs> we tend to avoid greens when we're not fasting. <laughs> and, and, then, and then whenever we're fasting, we're like, oh yeah, fruits and vegetables, those are a thing. So what happens is our body has to go through this whole reassimilation process when it comes to fibrous foods. So <clears throat> your body gets like needs at least 21 to 30 days to adjust to the, the fiber content that you reintroduce it to during a fasting period. And Lent is usually where it's the heaviest, right? Because we can't like go to fish or, you know, any, I mean, even the, just even the fish alone, I think is a really big deal because people love shrimp and salmon and things like that. So, so now you're like, okay, I only have fruits and veggies and it kind of gets to be in a battle mode. But the the, the fiber content your body is readjusting to. So that's where all the gas comes from, the bloating, um, sometimes even some digestive issues because your, your body is like, whoa, I've been wanting this the whole year, but you're just now throwing them all at my body or throwing them all now at my gut. So your body is getting reused to the fiber content. The other thing is, um, so the other thing I would say is actually for legumes, because this, the thing that we focus on also during Lent, because we don't have the animal products, is beans, right? As you mentioned, we do, um, a lot of us do the fool, and we do the, the lentils, and black beans, all types of beans, right? Something that's really interesting about beans is that they have, um, I'm going to get a little technical here, but I'll explain what I mean. On the coating, <clears throat> on the coating of of legumes, they have this um, this component called phytates, and phytates actually are in a way called anti-nutrients, just because they make it difficult on your body to digest and absorb the nutrients in the actual bean itself. So, a great way to mitigate that is by soaking the beans overnight before you actually eat them. And so, in that case as well, that means we should try our very best to avoid canned beans, which I know are super easy, super convenient, but there are a couple reasons for that. The dry beans that come in bags, first of all, they're cheaper, um, believe it or not, they're cheaper than the ones that come in cans. Second of all, they have almost a hundred times less salt than, than what is in a can, what is in canned beans. And then 
also you can control that that issue with the phytates that I was talking about by doing the soaking um, overnight. It's really easy. You basically just flash boil some water, put all the dry beans in a pot over the stove, um, and just and you don't have to turn it on. Just cover it and let it sit overnight. The next morning or the next uh, afternoon, you can you can make them. So super easy, very low maintenance, but it's just one extra step. So you get the bags of beans and do that. And it really actually helps prevent or at least minimize the bloating and the gas that is associated with legumes. So Sandra, if I can ask a follow-up question, because I just recently got into the, the details on this, but the, there are two different kinds of fiber, right? Soluble and insoluble. Can you explain a little bit more about what they are and what the difference is? And do I really need both? Yeah, sure. That's a great question too. So um, fiber in general is not something that's really digested in our gut. It's just something that actually helps our gut process the rest of the food we eat. And also um, there's another piece I'll mention a little bit later about gut bacteria, and that's related to fiber as well. So soluble fiber is our are the types of fiber that your body will be able to, with, with enough hydration, be able to quickly digest and it goes through your system. If, you're, if your gut is in good health, it goes through your system really well. And that's where you're gonna find, that's where you're gonna find the, in, in, some, in your fruits and vegetables and things like that. So, and, and when it comes to Insult, and, and this also, I just wanted to say too, it really depends on, and I, I, I mentioned this because I know several people who have issues with their gut and they can't, they can't actually process fiber very well, both soluble and insoluble. So it makes it difficult for, for them to actually have a lot of fruits and vegetables on a regular basis. And that's something that there's a lot of tests that need to be done and things like that. So if you're in that category and you're listening to this podcast, please be very, very mindful about the amount of fruits and vegetables and in things like uh, root vegetables, because potatoes can disturb that, cauliflower, things like that, that can really be a problem as well. So that's a good point because those are things to keep in mind when it comes comes to fiber in general. So again, just think soluble as in it gets absorbed with um, in water and then insoluble, it doesn't. So it, it doesn't actually dissolve in water um, and that food actually goes through your GI tract without without being like broken down or processed. So that's just a side note there. <laughs> so Sandra, kind of going off of what you said at the beginning of that question was that... Um, you know, it takes your gut 21 to 30 days to adjust to the fiber content and things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so then is there like a correct way to come off of fasting and to go on to fasting or is that not really? No, the correct way is to continue eating fruits and vegetables. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, that's the real trick here, actually, especially in our Middle Eastern community. I find that we have this strange natural aversion to fruits and vegetables because I, I don't know why I, I don't I think maybe part of it is because of our intense fasting period so people just want to break and they just want to eat whatever they want and I totally get it and it's not that we should not eat those foods when we come off of fasting the key here is to continue also incorporating those fruits and vegetables and high fibrous foods so that your body can stay in this rhythm where you are processing fibrous foods because imagine I mean uh, for especially for Lent because it's 55 days you know if 
half of that time your body's adjusting, you know, <laughs> then by the time you're at, towards the end of it, you're like, okay, I got used to it. And then you, you hate your know. body again with, with cutting it off. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So all this is well and good. Okay. Like I love everything that you've said so far and it's really helpful and it's changing a lot about the way that I think about food, especially during Lent, but I have to admit, I consider myself completely inept in the kitchen. Okay. I mean, if it's not being reheated, it's getting botched in my kitchen. <laughs> so one of the most intimidating things about fasting for me is figuring out a variety and figuring out what meals to make and eat. And I know that's like not the point, but I do want something that's quick and easy and practical and something that I'm almost sure my kids will at least try. <laughs> so do you have like some go-to ingredients or recipes that you use that are nutritionally dense and, and helpful during this time? Yeah, definitely. So, um, okay, I'm going to list a couple things that are, I think are extremely important. So one is um, my two go-to like categories of meals are salads and veggie stir fries. And the thing about salads and stir fries in general is that I think people get stuck in a rut because they use the same vegetables that they're very familiar with or that they lean on um, typically. And they maybe, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I totally understand. If you don't have time and if you're really just um, kind of in a frenzy every day, there's like a, there's a, there's kind of like this routine and it's really hard to go out and experiment with different fruits and vegetables and things like that. It can be really hard to get a green that you've never used before or never really, or you don't know the taste and then you, you try it out and maybe it doesn't work, things like that. It's, it's a little disheartening because you, your time is so precious. So you want to have those go-tos, right? Um, so in that case, what I would suggest is once a week, and this is honestly, it's better to do during the year before Lent, right? Um, but but it can still be accomplished during Lent. So uh, if once a week, if you have a day where it's a little bit more downtime, even just a couple hours, I would go out and get a, um, greens that you've never used before and experiment with them. And I can, um, again, provide some uh, fast and friendly recipes with some interesting ones like bok choy is not really a popular green, but it's so, so um, full of vitamins and minerals. Um, and then kale is like, I feel like now at this point, sometimes kale is like a, a green that people make fun of because that's <laughs> like the thing that the organic crunchy hippies eat, you know, things like that. But there are so many ways to prepare kale that actually are really delicious. And Anyway, so all that to say, like, when it comes to salads and stir fries, you can actually really get creative with them. Um, there's also a way to prepare salads ahead of time that are so easy. If you get a bunch of mason jars that are large, like quart size, you can stuff as many vegetables as you want in it and have them ready in the fridge, just like lining them up in the fridge. So that way, when it's time to eat, you can just dump the contents of the jar onto the table and you, you have a great meal right there. Um, the other thing I, I want to say too, um, there, there's also, honestly, there's so, so much to discuss. I'm trying my best to be concise, but um, dressings are really, really a fun way to um, kind of flavor your salads without, um, without making them unhealthy and also um, making them way more palatable. Cause I mean, let's be honest, sometimes just raw fruits and vegetables, especially when it comes to the greens and they can be a little bitter sometimes. It's hard. You, I mean, and I don't expect someone to go like out in their backyard and just 
eat <laughs> eat like right. plants and vegetables right out of the ground. So um, so dressings can be a key to do that. Um, believe it or not, like the vinegars, like balsamic vinegar, apple cider vinegar, of course, quantity matters here. But if you add those vinegars to a little bit of olive oil and some shallot, like just cut up some onions and put some garlic and a little bit of salt, you are... You, are, uh, you will have a very flavorful salad. And maybe that may not be geared towards so much to the kids, but I will say my hack with what I found so far with kids is smoothies. So if you make, if you find some smoothie recipes that the kids absolutely love and find and put their favorite fruits in those smoothies, like as a base, if you put, for instance, if they like pineapple or if they like berries, a lot of kids like berries. If you make that the base, you can sneak in pretty much any green you want <laughs> into that smoothie and it'll actually help them quite a bit because it's, you're, you're giving them a jam packed nutritious meal in something that actually tastes fruity and delicious and it has that that kind of like milkshake feel you know that type of thing um so that's my biggest hack when it comes to kids and something and actually um i found some families who have made it really fun and they're like this is our breakfast together so they'll make a huge batch of a smoothie that everybody loves and the other thing about that with smoothies is you can sneak in a lot of great things something that's really important um is you know, especially during the fast is B12 because B12 doesn't really get consumed unless you have an animal product. That's one that that would be the only um, vitamin that I would say ends up getting missing during Lent. And you can actually get a liquid B12 supplement and stick it in your smoothie and you'll cover that for your kids and for your family just in that one meal. And then the other thing that is really, really important is healthy fats, um, not fats in general, healthy fats. So the unsaturated fats, um, that's sometimes hard to come by also during Lent. And the way that you can accomplish that, actually, my number one go-to is avocados. So if your kids like avocados, you're super blessed. <laughs> and please go forth and conquer with your avocado-loving kids <laughs> because avocados are so, so, so good for you. They're, they're chock full of healthy fats and really good fiber, lots of nutrients. I mean, honestly, avocados it could rule the world if, if, if a vegetable or, for, or for, it's technically a fruit, but if a fruit could rule the world, avocado could because it's so nutrient dense. Um, but Is it's coconut oil one too. What if you yeah, add that? Yeah, you can definitely add coconut oil to your smoothie and you can do coconut milk, which also has the good healthy fats and it gives it a milky. So if you want to do, if you do coconut milk with some cocoa powder and some fruits and vegetables, you can have like a chocolate smoothie, you know, or if you want a fruity smoothie, you can skip the cocoa powder. You can still do the cocoa, coconut milk, things like that. I mean, lots of varieties. I mean, and that's something is also fun. Maybe something the kids could even help with in the kitchen so they can feel like they're participating. Um, it can make, it can make it a very easy introduction into like cooking quote unquote for, for the kids, but I find that they really, really enjoy it. And they, they can like stick in the ingredients for you and they can, you can present even some ingredients to them, like spread them out on your kitchen table and say, okay, what do, what do we put? What do we want to put in today? Like that kind of, that kind of thing too. Could be fun. 
Yeah, I know uh, my kids love smoothies and they're big fans. We were just talking last night, actually, I went on a mother-son date and we brought up the idea of making our own smoothies. We oh, perfect. Smoothies, but we were talking about making our own. Um, I do want to offer a tip for people listening who have kids who are picky eaters because I was a very picky eater and my children both tend to fall on the picky eater scale. Um, one of the things that I learned, if you are you know, serving a meal and it has things in it that you want them to try. A trick that my mom learned later with the younger kids and that I think is working really well at our house is to make sure you're enjoying the food and not to push it too much on the kids. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting there and you're going, like yesterday, I think we had lentil soup and we were saying, oh, this ads is amazing, (laughs) you know, and the youngest was like, I have to try this. Okay. Like, and he was willing to have a, uh, you know, a spoon. And then my daughter kept looking over enviously. Now she didn't end up trying it this time, but uh, the fact that we just enjoyed the food and showed them that we were enjoying it. And it wasn't so much about shoving food down their throats. Exactly. It's something that they could come to on their own. And my kids love a lot of healthy foods that I didn't push on them for that specific reason, because I wasn't pushy. They were able to, you know, approach on their own terms, I suppose. Yeah, that's a that's a great tip for sure. That's a really good point too, Laura, because I also just discovered recently with my kids is the presentation matters. And I don't mean like make it look pretty. Like they don't want it in kid bowls. They want it in the same kind of plate that we get. So like if I have a adult bowl, they want an adult bowl. If I have an adult plate, they want to, like no more of those kid plates. Although we still use that most of the time. But when it's family dinner, we all have the same bowls. And for some reason that seems to like, break the wall for them they're like okay fine you know i get to be a big kid you know that's awesome thank you so much sandra for like all that you've shared do you have any like final tips and things that you want to share with us yes actually i do so a couple things i was alluding to earlier that i didn't get to mention one is um uh, gut bacteria so another reason why we sometimes struggle with um processing foods in general, not just these um, foods that are high in fiber, is that our, our, the bacteria in our gut are actually um, imbalanced and there's an overgrowth of bad bacteria and not enough of the good bacteria that actually helps us digest things well. So I know I, I, would, I would highly suggest if you're somebody who um, maybe after almost every meal you feel like there's bloating, there's issues, like you're digesting that your digestion is typically off and you have pro- you have problems processing foods, I would try to get um, a, a really good beneficial probiotic. And, and don't get me wrong, I know there are lots of herbal supplements and probiotics that are not really made well and they're just kind of like gimmicky and they cost a lot of money and people are like, well, that didn't do anything. Um, I could maybe also provide a couple of brands that I really trust when it comes to supplements and probiotics, maybe you can um, explore that. Um, also something to keep in mind, if in the past year or in the past in general, you've had a lot of antibiotics for any kind of other issues or infections that you or your children have dealt with, um, antibiotics are great because they help kill off the bad bacteria, but they also kill off good bacteria. They're non-selective, right? So 
something we have to keep in mind is that if you were on antibiotics many times in the past or you, you were on it for a very long period of time, you actually could have depleted your good bacteria in your gut with antibiotic usage like that. So it's extremely important that good bacteria gets reintroduced in your gut so that you can digest things well. Um, you don't only have to rely on probiotics. It's just easier because you get the biggest bang for your buck because and you get the most diverse range of um, good bacteria with some probiotics. But another option you could do um, to introduce good bacteria in your gut is actually have fermented foods, um, which again, that's probably hard for kids. Maybe the adults can lean on that um, because they tend to have a very strong flavor like kimchi and sauerkraut. They're really strong. Um, I have been able to hide sauerkraut in soups and you don't really get the tangy tart flavor of it that way. But that's just something to keep in mind if uh, probiotics um, are not an option. The other thing I was gonna mention, along with avocados, sweet potatoes are really, really, really good to lean on during Lent. They're very um, dense in nutrients. They have a high fiber. So again, if you're not used to having a lot of fiber, it could, um, it could kind of mess with your system for a little bit, but very, very nutritious for you. Really good for the kids. Uh, the other thing too is I was going to mention cooking rice with coconut milk is a really nice hack as well. It makes the rice really creamy and it kind of changes up the flavor of rice. You don't actually get the coconut taste, but you get this creamy, thick type of rice and you can put in some spices in it and it usually ends up being a pretty big hit. That's something to keep in mind as well. And I think the last thing I was going to mention is about lentils, our favorite. <laughs> um, I think that lentils are so underrated. It's one of those foods actually um, that if you look globally, lentils are actually a go-to for many, many different cultures and many different societies. And they've been a go-to for centuries. And the reason why is actually quite scientific. They are so nutrient dense. And actually when you were when Madonna, when you're asking me about protein earlier on, um, I was going to mention lentils and highlight lentils specifically because in one cup of lentils, you get 18 grams of protein. Wow. So, yeah. So, and that's something I think is super underrated. Um, and I don't know if you guys, if you've been to India or Nepal, you know, they're vegetarian um, societies and they live off of lentils. And that's why they, they still have, you know, they, they still have enough protein. Honestly, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they have lentils some way in some form. And that's because, and not only are they dense in, uh, or they are, they're packed with protein, they have great amount of all the vitamin, all the uh, B vitamins, except for B12. And then also um, iron, 37% of your daily needs of iron is in one cup of lentils. Um, magnesium, which is very good for stress and for relaxing your muscles and helping you sleep well. You get 20% in one cup of lentils. And then potassium, zinc, copper, phosphorus as well. So anyway, I just wanted to highlight lentils, super important food. And um, 
So you got to thank your moms and dads, your Egyptian moms and dads who have made you eat ats for your entire life. (laughs) They knew what they were doing. Even if they didn't know the science behind it, they knew what they were doing. Man, who knew ats was such a superfood? It (laughs) is. It totally is. (laughs) And it's worth mentioning to all of our listeners that obviously all of our bodies are different. So, you know, you'll react differently to the different fruits, the vegetables, the proteins, the, even the probiotics that Sandra mentioned. And of course, talk to your father of confession if you have certain things that you can and can't do and, you know, make your arrangements that way with whatever you, whatever way Lent needs to look for you. And for those of us who can't fast for whatever reason, there are so many ways to dedicate Lent to God and they don't involve food. You can consider starting a prayer habit that you try to keep through Lent and beyond or even breaking a bad habit that's been plaguing you. Yeah, you could do acts of service, acts of kindness for neighbors or friends you've lost touch with. I know a lot of us are very isolated and lonely and lived a very strange year. And so this is a good time to uh, reconnect with people, call that person you keep meaning to call, uh, connect with those people, pray for them. And you could also read and, um, you know, those all those spiritual books you've bought over the last year. This is a good time to actually read them. And that could be one of your goals. Yeah. And in that journey of reconnection, you know, maybe go on a journey of forgiveness of someone who has hurt you because that can definitely take a lot of time. You know, that's not one of those things that happens over a night. So the period of Lent is a great time to work on that. Or you could try to reconsider your social media usage. I know that one's a good one for me if that's something that you struggle with. We just want to encourage you today that whatever your Lent journey is, whether it's you're able to fast or through any of the other suggestions we mentioned, our goal is the same. It's to, to unite ourselves with Christ, however that looks in your life and according to your capabilities. Uh, I want to thank Sandra again so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And may God bless this Lenten season for each of you and strengthen us to shake up our routine a little bit for the sake of our relationship with him. And with that, thank you for joining us for another episode of Raising Up Cops. Raising Up Cops is a podcast hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lewindy. None of the views expressed during this recording are the official stance of the Coptic Church or its hierarchy. These are purely our personal opinions, collected experiences, and organic discussions on selected topics. If you would like to reach out with any questions or comments, please email raisingupcopts at gmail.com or post on the Coptic Dad and Mom Parenting Community on Facebook.